Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Nowadays, 20 bucks barely gets you a burger and fries or maybe a quarter tank of gas. You know what it will get you, though? For just 20 bucks a month, you can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data from my sponsor and my cell phone company, Pure Talk. Make the switch today and save an additional 50% off your first month. Choose a wireless company who shares our values. Go to puretalk.com slash jesse to switch today so you can actually afford that burger and fries. That's puretalk.com slash jesse. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter and the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE. Or go to timesharejesse.com, Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. I'm a history nerd. Now, granted, I'm really, really cool. I'm basically the coolest person who's ever walked. But I am a history nerd. And because I study history all the time, one one of the things that's always fascinated me about military history and military campaigns 
is supply lines. It's not something you think about when you think about military history, right? I certainly didn't before I started all the reading and things like that I do. I talk about history on my radio show every single day. It's nationally syndicated, not to brag. But supply lines, when you think about war, and when I think about war, you think about bullets and bombs. When it comes to older war, you're talking about swords and shields and knights and armor and catapults and city walls and all these cool things. Braveheart, faces painted blue, woohoo, running across the field. You never think about food, water, where they sleep at night. You never think about the supplies they need for the horses, do you? How many times have you seen people riding horses? Well, horses have to eat. Horses need things. And you don't think about that, and I don't think about that, but the truth is this. And this is a saying from an old Marine Corps general. I forget his name, so instead I'm going to give myself all the credit for it. He said, amateurs study tactics, professionals study logistics. Supply lines are not a small thing. Supply lines are often the only thing that matters. Speaking of history, there's this really cool part about Julius Caesar. Just let me nerd out for a second. Before we get to it, I'm going somewhere with this. There's this really cool story about Julius Caesar, and he's up in Gaul, modern-day France, and he's taking over all of Gaul. I mean, granted, he really didn't have to, but look, that's what he did. And he's taking over Gaul and taking over Gaul, and he's laying siege to this little Gallic fort. And he finds out that his 40,000 men or so have just got 200,000, a 200,000-man army coming to attack them, coming to relieve the Gallic fort. And Julius Caesar doesn't panic. He just builds up an extra wall to keep the 200,000 away, and he waits. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, why would he wait? And Julius Caesar had this idea of, how are they going to feed 200,000 men? How are they going to drink water? How are they going to supply 200,000 men? And the army just kind of disappeared. Supply lines are everything. And we have a culture war going on in the United States of America. And the truth is this. I know it's a hard truth, but it is something you have to hear if we're ever going to fix it. The leftists own the supply lines of this culture because the leftists own the education system. They own it. All of it. And I do mean all of it. I'm not just talking about your crazy nutball college professor. Or the last headline you saw about this college professor said this or this college professor said that. I mean, it's down to your elementary school. I saw something today, a father talking about his seven-year-old child learning in class about white privilege and how evil he was for being white. They are going after your kids they own the education system. Why do you think we're in the situation we're in, especially with American corporations? I hear, I get your emails. Why do you think corporations are constantly putting out these leftist statements all the time? Well, if you're the CEO of a major corporation, you didn't just magically with fairy dust appear there one day. You had an upbringing. You had a childhood. And the truth is this. 
If you put your kids in a government school at the age of five or six, they're going to have seven, eight hours a day up to the time they graduate high school of sometimes subtly, sometimes not, learning how much America kind of sucks. And learning that America's racist and homophobic and misogynistic and all these things. And then they're going to move on from that school and they're going to move into college and then they're going to really find out not only that America sucks and sucks bad, they're going to be told it's their duty to do something about it, to be active. Leftists are activists. Leftists are not passive about it. And that person's going to move on from college and he's going to go to this Fortune 500 company or that Fortune 500 company. And he's going to start in the mailroom or wherever people start. And he's going to work his way up and soon he's a 40, 45, 50-year-old CEO and he hasn't changed his mind about these things. As soon as you put that little leftist commie out into the system when he leaves a college campus, he will spend the rest of his life affecting and infecting the system. And that is why we have what we have. There is no other argument to have in the United States of America unless we address the education problem. I have a million and one issues I'm passionate about. You hear me talk to you about it all the time. I care about immigration, taxes, spending, abortion. I care about all these things, and I care about them a lot and more. None of that matters unless we take back the education system because they're learning in school early and often about leftism. They're learning that it's great and people on the right suck and America sucks. And you know what? It would be better if this country never even existed. And then we look around and we wonder why I can't even turn on a football game anymore without being waterboarded with leftist crap during the game, during the commercial breaks, after the game. You look around and say to yourself, does everyone hate this place? Yeah. And they learned it somewhere. Oftentimes they didn't learn it at home because they didn't have to. So let me ask you before we go into a couple little things here. What's your child learning in school? Where's your child going to school? Do you ask your child about what they're learning? I don't have my kids in government schools and I still ask mine all the time. What are you listening to? What are you watching? What's that little video you're watching? Oh, history class. Oh, you're learning about the uh, Revolutionary War. What are they teaching you about the Revolutionary War? I don't mean you have to sit on, under a heat lamp and interrogate them. Ask your child questions. You may be shocked. You may be horrified about what you find out. If we're ever going to take this country back, and I'm talking about the culture that we have lost, we have to take back the education system because that is the supply line for the nation. Until we take that back, nothing else matters. Oh, and by the way, did I mention they're after your kids and they're after them on purpose? Here's somebody. We have never invested as much in public education as we should have because we've always had kind of a private notion of children. Your kid is yours and totally your responsibility. We haven't had a very collective notion of these are our children. So part of it is we have to break through our kind of private idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to their families and recognize that kids belong to whole communities. Once it's everybody's responsibility and not just the households, then we start making better investments. 
Oh my word, no. Your kids don't belong to a community. And there's a reason they're always pushing that notion. The reason is they want to raise your kids. Leftists are not in control of the education system of this country by accident, and it is important that you remember that. Remember what I told you. How many times have I told you this? Leftists don't look at anything and say to themselves, ah, we shouldn't go there. We'll leave that alone. Even your children. Leftists do not look at your children and think, wow, I mean, that's, that's John's kid. Oh, that's Sarah's kid. I'm sure they'll work it out. They look at your children and say, hmm, well, we better teach them what we believe, hadn't we? They're in the education system on purpose. You remember those people who kneeled down in front of a bunch of black people begging for white forgiveness during the George Floyd fiasco? Look at this video. You remember this? You don't get like that as a grown man overnight. You get like that after years and years and years of learning how bad you suck. Let's take it back. All of that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. Joining me now, former congressman and current dean of business at the Great Liberty University, Dave Brad. Congressman, I get people emailing me all the time asking about my plans for my kids post high school. People are understandably yeah. turned off by colleges in this country. What should parents, I mean, look, you're a freaking dean. What should a parent be looking at when it, when it comes to potentially sending their kids to school? Everyone knows they'll be fine at Liberty. What if they can't go to Liberty? What if it's too yeah. far away? What if they can't afford it? What if all those things? What questions should a parent be asking to make sure their kids aren't going to a commie training camp? Yeah, well, that's a great question right there. I mean, go online to Liberty. Uh, go to a school you trust. <clears throat> and how do you know what school to trust? Go to the mission statement. Read the mission statement of the school. And if it's a bunch of gobbledygook, you know you got a mess on your hands, right? Harvard back in 1640... Uh, the mission statement and the motto was uh, truth for Christ and church. Now, I don't know what it is right now. It's gone through some hermeneutical uh, meat slicer and uh, the Frankfurt school, the Marxist, the neo Marxists. Uh, and it's a, right now I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually being serious. There is a language war going on. The new left, the neo Marxists are fighting uh, through the creation of a language games in philosophy, it's called deconstruction, et cetera. And the goal isn't to uh, represent the truth anymore. And they'll, they'll just tell you that. They just come out and say that. The American pragmatist tradition, Rorty is the big name there. People can go look them up. 
And the goal is just uh, language is a tool to help you achieve your objective. And the left, uh, the objective is power. And so higher ed is basically admitted that. So they're not teaching uh, the, the kids about truth or history or religion or ethics that has any foundation anymore. They're just saying, hey, we want to achieve power. Here are our goals. We're going to call them neat terms like haters and, you know, uh, or, or we're for freedom or we're for human emancipation or we're, the, we're, we're against the oppressors. If you hear any of that language, you're, you know you're dealing with the neo-Marxist stuff for real. And uh, if they won't come out and teach about the founders, for example, that's a dead giveaway. If they won't teach about human rights, the human rights tradition, which is at a you know, centuries-long legacy in, in philosophy and education, you know you're on the wrong track. If they won't tell you what system of ethics they believe in, if they just say the word ethics, you know you're dealing with a Marxist, right? There's Confucian ethics, there's Christian ethics, there's utilitarian ethics. You can have a good debate amongst all those schools. They all differ. And your mind will become enriched by studying the difference. Uh, but if they just say we do ethics and we tell your kid to be good, uh, run away like crazy. And parents may not know that. That's the new trick. Uh, the Marxists, the neo they're very clever. <clears throat> they don't teach Marxism because uh, the system's failed. And so they teach all these new studies. Any Anytime you see a course that's got something studies in it, run for the hills. And now, parents, you can see the course. Uh, the best thing, go, go on to your kid, uh, go on to your, your kid's college course right now when it's online and watch the professor. And if you're horrified, transfer soon. That was incredibly helpful. I hope everybody rewinds that again, especially people who are thinking about sending your kids off to school. You brought up Confucian studies. Now, I'm too stupid and uneducated yeah. to know anything about Confucius, but I continue to hear this Confucius studies thing in the headlines all the time. They're busting these Chinese commie professors. What's happening with this? What is it? Yeah, well, I was actually referring to the real deal, Confucian ethics, uh, where, you know, kids were taught to respect their elders and there were manners and there were forms of behavior that were respectful of tradition and of proper thinking in the Chinese tradition. Uh, so, yeah, that's not uh, being taught anywhere. And I would like that. A nice discussion of Confucian ethics is fine. Uh, but what is being taught at these Confucius Institutes that's all over the headlines is just straight uh, importation of the Chinese Communist Party, right? They're putting Confucius Institutes across the uh, uh, the country in Harvard and Yale and all these schools that accept that uh, gladly. And then it, they they run the uh, Marxist mantra through your kids and they, they start uh, teaching the language and the culture and all the buzzwords and it just seeps in uh, until eventually your country is no longer recognizable. And we're getting there. How did it seep in? I mean, obviously Harvard didn't wake up one day and think, I, need, we, I think we need to invite the commies in here. So how does Harvard right. all of a sudden have a Confucius Institute? How does that, how does that process look? Yeah, well, that, that one's easier to describe because if you look at the number of, of Chinese uh, intellects at Harvard, the number is actually staggering. And if you multiply that by 100,000 each per year, you get the simple answer. It's just economics, right? But it's much deeper than that. The Chinese wrote a book, you know, back in 1999 called Unrestricted Warfare. Everybody should you can download it for free as a PDF file. 
and go read. They said, we're at war with you. It's an information war. We saw what you guys did to Iraq and the Gulf War. Uh, hats off to you. You're the best. Uh, so uh, we're not going to fight like that. Uh, we're going to cheat. Uh, we're going to steal your intellectual property. Uh, we're going to copy uh, every one of your designs. We're going to go into your businesses, undersell them, copy their product, sell it on Amazon, put you guys out of business, take over. And while we're at it, they mentioned, you know, 9-11 and stuff back in 1999. And so do the math on that one. And so they're at war with us. Uh, our country's at sleep and we need to wake up. It's time to wake up. Should a parent tell their kid to go to college today? What 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 decision-making process should a parent go through and whether or not their kids should even go to college? Because I'll tell you, I think I grew up in one of the last generations yep. where it was just assumed that's what you did. You don't want to be the kid who didn't go to college. Yep. And I got a 0.0 grade point average my first semester. I had no business being anywhere near a college campus. But it's what everybody did. What should a parent do today? Right. Yeah, well, you know, back in the day, you know, Johnny and Mary went off and, you know, there were these cute little Marxist ideas that were floating around and it was cute and funny. Uh, now it's not funny anymore. So your your question is, is on the mark. And so, you know, you got to go to your first principles as a family, whatever your first principles are, you know, mine are religious. They talk to your kid and you say, hey, why are you on this planet in the first place? And uh, then you get an answer to that. And then you say, okay, uh, how do you, uh, how do you, what, what are your gifts? Uh, what gifts you have? What talents you have? Uh, where, where are your passions? What do you like reading? And, uh, you know, how do you picture yourself in 20 years? And you start trying to discern what your career path is going to look like. And then you train yourself in to try to hit that career path. And so, you know, I'd, I'd be more practical like that. And, and this uh, four year uh, liberal arts study. I'm a huge fan of the liberal arts that came out of the Greeks, right? I mean, the Greeks believed in human reason. Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, the whole, that's a great, go read that. But you won't get any of that, right? That the truth is actually true and you should base your life on reason. You know, the Stoics, I mean, there's just grand traditions that come out of the Greeks and then the Renaissance and the Reformation and all that. I love it. But your kid is not getting any of that at Harvard in the humanities anymore. <clears throat> They're getting that all of that is bad. Reason was imposed on you. Mathematics is a white male creation, eight uh, high test scores that are used to discriminate against people, et cetera. Right? When, in fact, the, the United States and the capitalist system has done more for the poorest of the poor than any system imaginable. We're having this debate over computers right now because we're so rich. Every kid, there's no upper bound. Every kid can be rich, uh, but you got to say business is good. Business is morally good. If you think business is morally bad, uh, you're not going to excel because you're up against uh, what you're what, what you're saying is is bad, right? If a kid thinks business is bad, why would you want to aim at that? If you think it's morally good and worthwhile, boy, I'm going to put some time and effort into that. So I'd, I'd be practical. Try line up your kid. Yeah. Dean of Business, Liberty University. I apologize I interrupted you there at the end, Congressman. You know I love the sound of my own no. voice. Dave Brad, thank you, sir. Hey, you guys are great for uh, having a, a segment on this. Hey, good work, Jesse. Appreciate you. All right, we got more. I'll be back.
Joining me now is the senior policy analyst for the Independent Women's Forum, Inez Stepman. Inez, if I can say anything positive about this country's absolutely idiotic coronavirus response, it's that parents aren't sending their kids back to government schools, whether by choice or otherwise. Is this a big positive for the country like I think it is? Look, I think teachers unions have really, really overplayed their hand on this one. Um, I have a piece in the American Mind detailing why. Um, I think teachers unions in this country have largely decided that they think that they can deliver the same kind of shoddy distance learning to parents as, as um, people put up with last spring, and that parents, and then actually try to foreclose any other alternatives like homeschooling, like uh, pods and potting up in, in groups. Um, they think that they can give us no options. They think that they can give parents absolutely no options and no way out, and they'll keep their market share, and sadly for them, but I think happily for the country, I, I think that's actually not going to happen. I think you're actually going to see an exodus from public schools this fall as they don't reopen. What does that mean for public schools? Because if people are exiting, the funds are still coming, right? I mean, we don't allocate funds to public schools on a per-pupil basis, or do we? We do. So um, the whole battle in school choice is whether parents should be able to take some of those funds and actually use it for an, an alternative educational environment, whether that's a private school that might be reopening or a pandemic pod um, supported by some state funds to then hire a teacher or tutor for a small group of students learning in person, um, or whether that's homeschooling. What they're fighting is, are those dollars actually falling to student instead of flowing to the system? But the system still has to show that it has students enrolled in order to get some, some funds. Some funds aren't based on the per pupil allocation, but some of their money is. And that's why they're so terrified right now. That's why you see a lot of posts on social media uh, from school districts begging parents not to unenroll their kids, even though those school districts are not doing much to then meet parents halfway in terms of the concerns that they have um, about their kids continuing what most people have pretty much decided was a complete failure in terms of distance learning in the spring. And they decided that for very good reasons. Actually, a lot of schools didn't even implement distance learning. And those who did, um, parents seem to think have, have done a pretty poor job of it. Well, they have done a terrible job of it. But it has, I have to ask, if you're in a teacher's union and you're mad about parents pulling their kids out of school, then why are you also out there protesting in the streets saying all the kids are going to die if they go back to school? If you're worried about kids seeking an alternative, get your butt back in class and teach. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we're seeing teachers unions just try to foreclose those options by force rather than actually meet parents halfway. And actually, you know, every poll shows that parents are actually concerned about the coronavirus. They're not downplaying that any potential risks of reopening, what they are looking at are, are the risks to their children from not being able to socialize, especially young children with other uh, peers their age, the, the, the risks to their child's education and long-term trajectory uh, if they continue to learn uh, not anything um, from the public school as they did uh, for a lot of families in the spring. And they're also looking at, you know, a lot of families now uh, have to go back to work. And so all of those concerns, if teachers unions, I think, had met parents halfway, um, had, had tried to put in some kind of mitigation strategies, had had some kind of hybrid model. Um, and and I, I think parents would have been happy to meet them halfway on a lot of these kinds of safety-related 
questions. Um, but instead, they went ahead and demanded things that have absolutely nothing to do with the pandemic. Some of the demands from the teachers unions are about defunding the police, right? Um, or or uh, Medicare for all. It's It's been a completely obvious political ploy. And I think parents are really enraged by that. They would have been willing to work with, with schools, to work with teachers unions um, on, on issues surrounding COVID-19. But this is just transparently political, right? The, the schools are not opening because we haven't funded the police yet. This is just hostage taking. It's political hostage taking and parents shouldn't take it. How the teachers unions get so much power in this country and as in you can feel free to expand a little bit because I honestly I look at them and I'm horrified by them at all times. They're always doing stuff that has nothing to do with the kids. They're clearly just another democratic arm, another arm of the democratic party and they have so much weight. How did they get that kind of weight? Um, well, I think the answer is really two separate threads. One is, um, of course, the old warning that FDR gave about allowing public sector unionization and how different that is from, from private sector unions, right? A private sector union actually has to, you know, sort of negotiate with somebody who's, who's um, you know, has oppositional interests, right? If you're negotiating with management, management has their, their eye on the bottom line and there's sort of a natural limit and a natural balance between a private sector union negotiating for labor and, and management and capital on the other side. Um, in the public sector, that's not the case, right? Um, they're essentially negotiating on the other side of the table are politicians who are all too happy to give them what they want so that they can go ahead and help them with their reelection campaign. So there's no real oppositional bargaining in any public sector unions, and that's teachers unions included. But I think a lesser known piece of this is actually how well all the groups on the left stick together in the state legislative context, right? Um, you can call it intersectionality, you can call it whatever you want, uh, but teachers unions sign on to hundreds of bills every year in the state legislatures, if not thousands, that have nothing to do with schools. They are good coalition partners to every social leftist issue out there. And in turn, um, when they are fighting for even more money, even though funding for education has increased by two or three times over the last several decades, um, you know, every leftist group comes out to bat for them. And that makes them a more form formidable lobbying coalition oftentimes in the states, whereas the right tends to have, okay, there's like a pro-life group over here and a pro-gun group over here and a group that fights for lower taxes and none of them really like um, sign on to each other's issues. And they're all sort of uh, fighting on their own, whereas the left really does in state legislatures, I've seen it firsthand, the left really does stick together. And that makes them more powerful in terms of lobbying in state legislatures. What would it take to bust up public sector unions? I think it would really, really move this country forward leaps and bounds if we could. What would it take to get rid of them? I mean, it, it, they exist by legislative fiat and they could easily be, be repealed by the same, right? You could create a public sector where everybody is at will employment and, and that's just the end of it. So to Georgia, for example, the state of Georgia way back in the 90s um, they actually decided that every new state employee, including teachers, would be um, phased in as a at-will employee, right? So um, the same conditions that most of us in America work under, you know, it's a voluntary arrangement. I'm agreeing to work for Independent Women's Forum. They're agreeing to pay me, and either one of us can terminate that relationship at any time. Um, that's not the norm in most state employment or in federal employment, for that matter. Um, there's all kinds of protections put in place by unions unions but by by legislative decision the states could could change that overnight if they wanted to and in fact 
some states don't really have teachers unions they have teachers like sort of um, organizations and indeed in those states even though those groups are still quite powerful they're much less powerful than in the states that actually have formal unionization of public employees can we do anything federally about it is it unconstitutional why can't we get an amendment to the constitution or something well, we could certainly do something about it federally. I don't. I, I, I tend to balk at any kind of, of federal intrusion into education any more than they already have, partially because of, of constitutional concerns and also because, I mean, their their record of failure is just miles long. I mean, starting from the, the first interventions in the Great Society, sort of every step along the way has been dictated by the previous step, which failed, and then the more the plans fail, the more the planners plan. And so um, I, I'm sort of reluctant to endorse any federal involvement any more than it already has, the feds already have involved themselves with education. But certainly the federal government actually, and you and I have talked about this before, I mean, Congress should absolutely put federal employees closer to that at-will sort of employment. Right now, federal employees are basically impossible to fire. It takes about two years, and there's a chart a mile long with a bunch of different, you know, squiggles and stuff, and, and that's to fire people even for, like, the most basic of incompetencies. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, we could move in the federal level. We could move towards more at-will employment. Just like, again, you're at-will, I'm at-will, we're all working at-will. It's just government employees, apparently, who, who are unable to work um, at-will employment. Not me. The first has actually tried to get rid of me. I just keep locking myself in the studio and turning the cameras on. So here I am every single night. Inez Stepman, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, Jesse. We're not done. We'll be back. Joining me now, editor-at-large of Red State, Kira Davis. Kira, first of all, is that a, an actual flower in your hair? Uh, it is a manufactured flower. It's a plastic flower and probably in violation of about 43 California environmental laws right now. But it doesn't matter because it looks cute. You know, we weren't going to start there, but we might as well start there. I find this to be one of the most buried stories in the United States of America, that California, who by itself, if it were its own country, has the fifth largest economy in the world, and yet they have brownouts right now. People are running out of power and being told to turn off the air conditioning. How's that humanly possible? It's insane. Like, it's literally driving me crazy, Jesse. Like, I'm filled with rage every day. Right now, while me and you are talking, there is a house in orbit that has people living in it. And we can communicate with them on the space station in about two seconds. We just launched a private mission to space. We have vehicles on Mars. It is 2020. Don't tell me we can't keep the power on to keep the AC on. It's insane. But of course, the problem here, Jesse, is that we canceled all of our reliable power here. We um, ended uh, reliance on gas. We closed our nuclear power plant, which was uh, doing fantastic. And uh, we switched to a third of our grid on solar, which I guess no one thought to think about the fact that the sun goes down at night. So at night, when things should be getting easier, when things should be getting cooler here, we're actually having the brownouts at night. 
because the grid goes down at night because we can't support all the AC that people use to sleep peacefully. (laughs) Believe me, we're all laughing at Californians while I am sorry that you have to live through this. Why are you still enduring this, Kira? Why are you not already here in Texas? You know what I haven't done yet here in Houston? Turned off the power in the summertime. Um, you know, it's not just Mrs. Davis here. There's a Mr. Davis and he's got his own thing going on. So the day I get to be in charge of where we move will be gone. But I'm not in charge of that decision right now. Your kid's education. I know you have kiddos. I have kiddos. What are you doing as far as their education goes? Because I, I think it's unquestionable at this point in time. That is really the big win the leftists got in this country. When they took over the education system, they have absolutely... I mean, look, we have generations, plural now, of Americans with no concept of our history or freedom or anything else. What do you do as a parent today with your kids? I'm homeschooling. I've got one that's going off to college and, um, well, hopefully, fingers crossed, a couple of weeks. <laughs> and I mean, we're, I, we're still, it's still up in the air. Like, we don't even know if he has housing. We had to reapply for housing because Chicago changed all of their stay at home orders overnight. So it's crazy. Um, and then I've got a 13 year old and we'll be homeschooling because here in Southern California, we're 100% online. And I actually love our public school in our suburb. We have a great one. I know a lot of the teachers personally, I love it. Happy to send my kid there. But the compromise I make is sometimes curriculum that I have to walk back or reteach. You know, That's been a compromise I make. But if we're going to be at home 100% on the time, 100% online, I don't know why I'm acquiescing that to the public school system. I might as well control the curriculum myself. So we'll be homeschooling. I've got a great homeschool curriculum that does everything that the public school does and more. And uh, everything's online. And homeschool is leap years, um, uh, leaps and bounds uh, ahead of the public school system when it comes to online learning. They've been doing it all this time. So they've already got everything set up. It's a really easy setup. And we're not going to be um, slaves to the, the public school curriculum this year. Kira, as everybody knows, I despise government schools with the fire of a thousand suns. So I love homeschooling. I love parents taking more control of their kids' education. However, you take somebody like me, I can hardly read or speak the English language. How am I supposed to teach my sons anything as far as schooling goes? You don't have to teach them anything. I I have a program. The program I'm using came, I'm telling you, homeschool is like light years beyond where public school is right now. I get a curriculum. You can individualize it if you're the type of parent that loves sitting and teaching your kids math. But I have a prepackaged program. It came, everything is set out. I have a calendar I look at. This is what needs to get done this day. You want to finish in nine months? Then this is the work that gets done on this day. They do all the recording. They do all the grading. Everything's online. There's a classroom that my daughter will log into every day to do her lessons. She'll do her lessons with other kids. She'll have a teacher to talk to. It's like what public school is doing, only better. You don't. It's not an issue anymore of you trying to figure out how to teach your kids a concept you don't know. 
all of that is done for you these days. And my particular homeschool program that I'm using, which is a Becca, which is a Bible-based curriculum, it's $1,300 a year. It's $130 a month. So we, we decided we could take that cost on for the benefits of what we're getting. Okay, plug that again, please, because I'm sure people are extremely interested in this at this point in time. What is it? Abeka, A-B-E-K-A, it's a Christian curriculum. A lot of private Christian schools use it, but they have a homeschool side as well. But it's not just Abeka. Like, there's a ton of homeschool programs out there that do that exact same thing. Abeka is just what I chose to go with because I like the Bible portion. Um, I like the faith-based portion of it. But if you do your research, there is plenty of stuff out there. And I think for me, the daunting task was record-keeping. Like, how do I keep all these scores i still work you know i'm still working from home all day so i have things to do but this program all of the quizzes and everything is online and then they just do all of the scoring and keep your transcripts for you and at the end of the year poof they just give it all to you i don't have to do anything except make sure she's in her seat doing her work and she has the proper books What's your plan for child interaction? I would worry that about that, about, about my sons, if I started homeschooling them. What, I don't want them to be a bunch of antisocial freaks. Uh, I plan to ignore my child as much as possible for the next <laughs> year or so. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's great because a lot of parent groups have popped up on the internet wrestling with the same question and there's a lot of support out there good ideas floating around I was just on a Facebook page today asking people about what should I do with free time with my daughter and and um, so there are some things we plan on doing some things here are open my daughter started softball so they're at least practicing right now so that's a way for her to get out to see people but we're very active in church we have a church community right she still attends a youth group it's a modified version of it right now but she has people that she sees personally and then we also live in a in a suburb where um life is pretty open here you wouldn't know that governor newsom is our governor if you walked into my suburb it's we're pretty normal here in this suburb so that she's got plenty of friends around here and then i'm making an effort to get to host like a cooking club or a sewing club like on Sundays or something, just something that her girlfriends can come over, they can do together, sit together. It's not a lot of people feel uncomfortable about having lots of people around, just a few girls. And, And so we have to be more deliberate about socializing for sure. But I guess the silver lining of that is that I know all of the socializing that she's doing. And we need to be more diligent like that about teaching young ladies to cook. I applaud you for that, Kira. Right. I listen, Jesse. I know. I know this is your shtick, but I'm gonna be honest here. I agree. My mom's a chef, and because mm-hmm. she was a chef, she never taught me how to cook because she didn't want to come home and recook dinner you know teach me how to cook in the kitchen and as a wife and as a homemaker i mean i was a stamp i'm still a stay-at-home mom essentially but um that was all i was for many years it was one of my deepest regrets that i just really couldn't really cook very well for my family so i actually do encourage young women to learn how to cook there's a lot of satisfaction in being able to put a meal on the table for your family in all seriousness kira davis red state thank you ma'am All right, we'll be back with more.
I know that was a lot to take in. I know that was a lot of information. That was a lot of scary stuff out there. And I'll be frank with you, I wanted it to be. I want you to be scared enough to act. Your kids matter that much, right? America itself matters that much. We are never going to make it as a nation if we're educating the next generation to hate themselves and hate where they live. We have to change things and change them now. Let's you and I make sure we do that. All right. Have a good one. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money, Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. Hollywood is under siege from external forces. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash jesse. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has supported our nation's heroes and their families ever since. Heroes like Marine Corps Sergeant Adam Mayo. Mayo served our nation for over seven years before he was catastrophically injured during training. He was left paralyzed from the chest down, severely limiting his ability to move around his home independently. Tunnel to Towers paid Sergeant Mayo's mortgage, removing a financial burden for him and his family. The foundation gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his specific needs. Tunnel to Towers has already come to the aid of so many heroes and their families by providing mortgage-free homes. The foundation is also committed to eradicating veteran homelessness. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. 
Com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that historically delivers sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. Jesse Kelly here. If you're in a situation where you feel threatened, instinct may drive you to reach for lethal means immediately. But we all want to avoid the irreversible consequences of deadly force. Enter the Berna Less Lethal Pistol Launcher, equipped with tear gas and kinetic ammo to incapacitate an attacker for up to 40 minutes. It's legal in all 50 states, requires no background checks, and can be shipped right to your door. Visit Berna.com slash Jesse now for an exclusive 10% discount.